I guess that's tolerable. Good morning. It is uh, good to be together this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me, of course, to the book of Colossians, a book that we have been in for uh, quite a while. And if all goes according to plan, as it does 78% of the time here at North Hills, uh, on a good day, uh, we will be wrapping up Colossians uh, next week. But we are find ourselves this morning in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. And we are ending um, a, uh, a very lengthy section. It's taken us uh, a couple months now to go from chapter 3 to, uh, through chapter 4. And James Terrence did a great job last week in, uh, in the text of verses 2 through 4 and did some recap, and I'm going to do some recap again. So we are all recapped out so we can know uh, what has been going on uh, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. As we've said a number of times, this uh, second half of Colossians is the, the, the practical part of the letter. We first have doctrine in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and now we have practice. And, of course, we know that practice is never separated or never divorced from doctrine, but it flows from doctrine. So a good understanding of who God is informs how we live as God's people. And so, but in this morning, as we find ourselves in uh, at the end of this, uh, this section, of course, it, it's not for us and most of our Bibles. It's not a, just a clean chapter, but it's from chapter 3, starting in chapter 3, verse 1, down to our text this morning, chapter 4, verse 6. So from 3, 1 to 4, 6 is this list that Paul gives of Christian living, how we are to live the Christian life. And uh, I went back to make sure that my numbers were correct to make sure my understanding because you know we've been in this thing for quite a while there's been a number of us who preached and so wanted to make sure that my recap was was accurate but there are 20 imperative words in um in this section now you say hey john's the weekend we don't think in terms of imperative i don't even know what that means or been out of school for 20 years it means commands there are 20 commands in this uh in this passage direct commands from the greek language now there are some other commands in our english language as you read if you look at the greek language there are 20 words of command from verse 1 of chapter 3 to what we'll see this morning in chapter uh, 4 verse 6 there are 20 direct commands that paul gives of how to live the christian life and i'll i'll give these to us uh, for our memory this morning he starts there in verse 1 Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. Put to death the sins of sexual immorality. Put away the sins of speech. Do not lie to one, uh, one to another. Put on goodness of the Lord. Put on love. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of uh, Christ dwell in you. These first nine are to everyone, and then the next several are specifically to Christian households, where he says, uh, to wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, love your wives. And he gives them a double command. He says, also, husbands, do not be harsh. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not provoke your children. And he says, to servants, obey your masters. And servants also work heartily. And masters, treat your servants well. And as we caught up last week with James, again, now to everyone, not just to Christian households, but to everyone, he says, to continue in prayer which brings us to our last two direct commands, to our last two imperatives in this section, which is to walk in wisdom and let uh, your speech be gracious. So that's where we're at this morning. 
the big idea, if you will, of our text is that believers are called to walk uh, in a way that is wise and winsome to a watching world. Believers are called to walk in a way that is wise and winsome to a watching world. You say, John, you're just making that up. No, it's right here in the text, as we'll see this morning. And so, just kind of want us to, to really understand what is happening here in this, in this whole section as we, uh, as we strive to be systematic in our understanding of God's Word, as we go through God's Word, uh, verse by verse, we come to the end of this very, uh, very beautiful and lengthy uh, section of these commands to the believers, as we'll be reminded of this morning. Uh, these are two believers. He is speaking to the church. If in verse three, uh, chapter three, verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ, he is speaking to believers. So these twenty commands, he finishes this morning. We'll wrap up this morning with Christian living, and so that is exactly what they are. They are commands. These are all imperative verbs. I had an interesting letter this week. I had my first subpoena. Uh, as an adult, I got subpoenaed to a ar- arbitration involving my work. Nothing, uh, no too big deal for us, fortunately. But what was interesting in it, it was very short, it's very brief, but there is one line in all capital letters. It says, You are commanded to appear at such and such date in such and such court. And I kind of scoffed. I said, There is one person in this world who commands me, and her name is Eric. I mean, her name is <laughs> Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And in all seriousness, I told him, I'm also, that's the only person who commands me is my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But for the sake of uh, submitting to our government, I will go down and do this arbitration. So if you're listening, big brother, I'll be there in New Orleans <laughs> in a couple weeks. So we are commanded. There's, these are these commands. And so we have these two commands before us this morning. Uh, these commands to walk in wisdom and let, to let our speech be gracious. Um, so let us read now our text with that lengthy introduction. So Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this to the Colossians. He says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this text that's before us. And as we uh, open your word, and as we dive into your word, Lord, would you lead us by your Holy Spirit and may Christ be exalted this morning. Would you keep me from error this morning as we walk through your holy and precious word. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So as we come to this text this morning, uh, there are many, many things that we're going to see that I believe that we'll find of interest. The first of which of this list, this is the first of these 20 commands that Paul gives. This is the first time that he calls the Colossians attention to those outside the church. Up to this point, all of these commands of Christian living have been about uh, towards how they are to live amongst other believers in the church. Especially when you look at uh, verses 12 through 13 and 14 there, you see those beautiful one another's. And we love talking about the one another's in the New Testament and how we are to live in life uh, with one another. But this is not a one another passage. He says to walk in wisdom, not with one another, but toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And so he is addressing the church and how they are to live life amongst those outside of the church. 
Outsiders is used several places in the New Testament. Paul uses it often, but I'd like to go to the Gospel of Mark real quick. Go with me to Mark chapter 4. Because some would say that God does not exclude. And I would say, you have not read your Bible. You are either inside the church or you are outside the church. You are either inside of God's people or you are outside of God's people. So in Mark chapter 4, we'll see Jesus teaching here. We'll start there in verse 10. It says, And when he was alone, those around him uh, with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said, To you, he's talking to his disciples, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So we see clearly, and we've talked about this often at North Hills over the years, uh, you know, there's always the running joke, right? There's two types of people in the world, and there's never just two types of people in the world, except there's two types of people in the world. Those who are inside the kingdom of God and those who are outside the kingdom of God. Those who are inside the true church and those who are outside the true church. Those who are believers and those who are unbelievers. That is one clear distinction that we have in humanity. There is not a third group of mankind. There is either you are in Christ or you are outside of Christ. And specifically in our text this morning, either you are inside the church or you are outside of the church. And so he is speaking to how they are to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Now, there, there could be two kind of groups of outsiders. He could be sp- speaking specifically to the pagans in their community, in the city, in the city that they're around, uh, who know nothing of the Lord. Or some would speculate that he may be talking about these false teachers that we see uh, that is attacking the church at Colossae and many other churches that Paul has planted who are still outside the church. Because either, again, you are either in Christ or you are outside of Christ. So he is saying that we are to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. And this morning, you may be inside this building, but you could equally be outside of the church. The invitation of Christ, as we see even in Mark chapter 4, is that you would turn from your sins and turn to Him in faith and repentance. Belonging to the church in membership, belonging to the church in regular attendance, belonging to the church through a lifetime or multiple generations does not make you in Christ. Only turning to Christ in true faith and repentance and looking to Him for the salvation of your soul makes you in Christ. You can be inside the church, but outside the church. You can be inside these walls and be outside of the church of Christ. And I would say that one of our greatest cultural problems, especially in the section of the world that we live, is that those outside of the church have mistaken people to be inside the church who really are not. As we'll see this morning, because the watching world looks on at believers there is a great confusion who truly are believers. So these 20 commands here, the, these, these 20 commands, they are not a list that if you do these things, you are saved, but rather if you are saved, if you are in the church, you will desire to do these things. As it says there in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, if then if you are in the church, if you are in Christ, 
then he goes on a list this um, these things of what what it looks like to be a believer these examples of Christian living these commands and so these are these are the things that we desire as believers including these two commands that we have in front of us this morning now so this morning our text is almost cliche that Paul addresses the walk and the talk of believers what we do and what we say so first let us look at the this first one a little more closely let us walk in wisdom so two things we're going to look at the first is this let us walk in wisdom let us walk in wisdom christian living is a part of gospel proclamation I want us to hear that this morning, and this is one of the better texts in the New Testament that really speaks to this, that Christian living is a part of gospel proclamation. We talk about the gospel all the time, as we should, and we should desire to proclaim the gospel. But Christian living is a part of gospel proclamation. Let's address, uh, let's address something. I kind of just categorize it as something. Let's just talk about something. Let's talk about this uh, quote that many of us have heard many times in our life, and probably in recent years you've heard it de- be debunked. But it's this quote that goes something like this Preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. Maybe you used to have a t shirt that said that. Maybe that was something as a teenager you rallied around. And it sounds good, right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if uh, necessary, use words. But when you preach the gospel, when is it necessary to use words? If you're preaching the gospel. <laughs> so we know that. We know that to be true. And that's attributed to uh, this guy named St. Francis Assisi. Not the same one who built our hospital. But St. Francis did not say those things. Did not say much of anything like it. He was quite the opposite, actually. One thing he did say was this, speaking about preachers. He said, the preacher must first draw from secret prayers what he will later pour out in holy sermons. He must first grow hot within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. One guy who wrote a biography on St. Francis of C.C. even compared him to Jonathan Edwards and Billy Sunday for his zeal for preaching the word. It's even known that at times he would preach up to five villages in one day. He was known for preaching through the countryside and proclaiming the gospel, not just going out by living the Christian life, but by, by proclaiming it with his words. He was a fervent preacher of the word. So no, St. Francis Assisi used words. He proclaimed the gospel. But the point of this often misquoted friar is to create a false dichotomy between word and deed. Now, I don't use a big word like dichotomy, but I like this word, so I I left it in there, okay? It's just when kind of two things are at odds, they don't have to be at odds. And these two things don't have to be at odds. Proclaiming the gospel through word and deed, because we find out they actually work together. Because the gospel is proclaimed both by what we say and what we do. We must often emphasize the preached word because it is both essential and neglected. As a whole, it's easier just to live a Christian life, right? It's easier not to proclaim the gospel through word. 
But both of these are greatly needed in proclaiming the gospel in word and deed. And we'll see this morning that the call is to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So the point of our text this morning begins with how we live. With how we live. Again, Christian living is a part of gospel proclamation. So much so, you can turn me real quick to 1 Peter. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. You can go and get your uh, Bible drill fingers warmed up. We're about to hit several uh, different places. But 1 Peter chapter 3. When we talk about how our lives bear the gospel. And by our actions. By what we do. 1 Peter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. We talked about that in Colossians, and we looked at it in Ephesians, this idea of wives submitting to their husbands as Christ, as the church submits to Christ. So that if some do not obey the word. So in essence, it's saying if you're married to someone who is not in Christ, who is not obeying the word, they're not submitting to the Lord, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. And so Christian living is a part of gospel proclamation. But Colossians here is not written to wives or to husbands. It is written to the church as a whole, to all believers of how we are to live amongst the world. And we'll see how and shows us that our walk, as we desire to walk in wisdom, as we live out this Christian life, it is indeed a gospel proclamation. We are to walk in wisdom. So if we are to walk in wisdom, it's so important, the question should be, how do you walk in What is wisdom? How do you get wisdom? How do you walk in it? Where does wisdom come from? Proverbs, let's start there. Proverbs chapter 9. If you're looking for a great work to add to your bookshelf on the topic of wisdom, just take your Bible and put it on the bookshelf. Proverbs is that book. But I'm in Psalms. It's not going to help me. Proverbs chapter 9. Many are familiar with this verse. Proverbs 9.10 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So how do we gain wisdom? It first begins with the fear of the Lord. Those who are truly wise are not the ones of this world. True wisdom belongs to those who are in Christ. True wisdom belongs to those who are in Christ, who fear the Lord, who look to the knowledge of God Himself. And so wisdom begins with fear of the Lord. But we see wisdom increased in three ways. Go with me now to the book of James. Flip over the New Testament. Book of James, right after Hebrews. James chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let's take a poll. Who lacks wisdom? You didn't raise your hand. You doubly lack wisdom. (laughs) If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith without 
with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but wisdom is also increased in prayer by asking the Lord, Lord, would you increase my wisdom? Lord, would you give me wisdom? And he will give you wisdom because he desires for you to walk in wisdom. Not just amongst those in the church, but he desires for you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So if we were to walk in wisdom towards the church and outsiders, when should, we, when should we be walking in wisdom? Always. So wisdom begins with the Lord and increases through prayer. And go back to Colossians chapter 3. Wisdom is increased through the word. When you go up a few verses to Colossians 3 verse 16, it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And we see that this teaching and this admonishing, it starts with the word of God. So wisdom begins in the word of God. It's not just isolated to the book of Proverbs, which is great for wisdom, but all through the word of God, we find God's wisdom for God's people. So how do we gain wisdom? Through prayer and through God's word. And then just one chapter, two chapters over in Colossians, in Colossians 1 verse 28, not only does, is wisdom increased through prayer and through word, it's also increased through discipleship. And we see this in Paul's ministry. Colossians 1 28, it says, Him being Christ, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says, for this I toil, struggling with all of this energy, energy that he powerfully works within me. And we see not just in this verse, we see all through Paul's ministry that he desires through wisdom to disciple others, to lead others to a maturity in Christ. And so wisdom is increased through prayer, through the word, and through discipleship. So if we are to walk in wisdom, we need to know where to find wisdom. And we can find wisdom in, in great books and in great helps and in all kinds of other ways. But ultimately, true wisdom is going to be found right here. Our true wisdom will be increased in God's word through prayer to the Lord and through discipleship. For those who fear the Lord. The call to Christian living is not just for your own good or even the good of the church. We are commanded to live out the gospel or to walk in the ways of Jesus to those who are outside of Christ. God has saved us in part for the good of those around us. So we are to walk in wisdom. And then Paul adds, before leaving verse 6, he says, making the best use of the time. So walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. In your translation, I'm using the ESV, of course, and yours may say it a little bit differently. This is a, uh, an interesting, um, some interesting language. In essence, what it's, the, the, the Greek here, what it's saying is, is that we are buying up time. We are buying it up. We are snatching it. So we are buying up time. So walk in wisdom towards outsiders as you snatch up all the time that you can. As you buy it up. It literally means to buy up or to buy out. We should seize every opportunity that we have to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. This should be something that is very present with us on a daily basis to walk in wisdom as we make the best use 
of our time. Go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, 11 through 14, as we think about time. Paul says this to the church at Rome. He says, Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You hear a lot of what you hear in Colossians right there in Romans. It's almost like Paul is consistent. Amazing, isn't it? Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Let us walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Let's make the most use of the time that we have. Here's a litmus test if you know if this message applies to you. If you're alive, it applies to you. If you're alive, God is not done with you. When you say, well, John, I don't have a ministry. I don't have all these people in my life. I'm not a good orator. I don't have any, you know, I can't do anything. If you are alive, God has called you to walk in wisdom towards outsiders that you might make the most use of the time and that he may use you to proclaim the gospel through Christian living. All of us can do that. And the reason he has us alive, if, if he did not need us here on this earth, we would not be alive. It is as simple as that. As one uh, missionary has said, we are immortal until God is done with us. Think on that. If you're ever worrying about your life, if you're ever worrying about your health, if you're worrying about the health of a loved one, and I know this can be a difficult subject, we are immortal until God is done with us. And then there's nothing you can do can't run, you can't hide. But let us walk in wisdom, making the best use of our time as the Lord has us here on this earth. We have unlimited opportunities to walk in wisdom. This is one of my great joys in the past several years being in the workplace, in the vocational workplace, daily opportunities. One of my employees who's been with me the, uh, the longest, who I, I dearly love, and he's a, a brother in Christ, and before he came to work for me, he was a um, uh, he was in ministry, uh, serving in the local church and in, in worship capacity, and has taken a season to kind of come work uh, in uh, in the vocational sector, and um, and so he's he's kind of going back into vocational ministry. And we we're talking this past week, and just talking about how much the Lord has taught us both in these past three years of just about working in the world, of just showing up every day, and and working and living amongst those who are lost and those who need Jesus. It is such a refreshing thing. So how is that refreshing just to work around a bunch of lost people? Because they need Jesus. And that's why God has called us, is to be evangelistic, not just in what we say, but in what we do, knowing that everything we do is in essence an act of evangelism. In what we say and what we do, making the most of the time. Every day that you go to work, students, every day that you go to school, every day that you leave your house, every day that you go to the store, every day that you engage online, you have an opportunity to walk in wisdom. 
So therefore, let us walk in wisdom. <clears throat> then moving on to verse 6. Not only should we walk in wisdom, but we should let our words be winsome. Let our words be winsome. He said, now you're just making up that word. You got to Google that word to figure out what winsome was. We're going to see it's actually in the language here. Great word this morning. To let our words be winsome. But note before moving on to this where he says, let your speech always be gracious. So, but notice the, the order. He talks about the walk before he talks about the talk. He talks about how we are to live before how we are to speak. And that's an important thing because people really don't care a whole lot about what you have to say when they can look at your life and there's a disconnect. And that's one of the great disconnects in our culture today. People want to talk about Jesus every now and then, but they're not living like it. They're the 95% of the time. So our walk and our talk must be consistent. And if we are in Christ, if we have been raised in Christ, it's not an effort on us to make sure they're in alignment. It's just who we are. It's who we are in Christ. If, if we have been transformed, if the old man is dead and there's a new man inside of us, then there should not be much misalignment between what we say and what we do. It says, let your speech always be gracious. Now, there are three key words here that are going to combine to, uh, to make a, an interesting point. These three words are speech, gracious, and salt. So let's look at these three words briefly speech and we could camp out here for quite a while let's go to james chapter 3 and just reading this passage will probably exhaust us james chapter 3 verse 2 we'll start there we make it spend months just on speech and james is going to tell us why it's so important james 3 verse 2 says for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the, the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. Shouldn't we just stop right there? If it's pointless, if we can't tame our tongue, but there is one inside of us who is not a human being, the Holy Spirit of God. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. 
So we see that there is so, there, our tongue is so important. Our words are so important. What we say has so much implication, can do so much damage or so much good. Our words carry great weight. And Paul says here, let your words, let your speech, let them be a certain way. Don't let them be like the fire that is set ablaze that we see in James, but instead let them be gracious. So our second, our second word there is gracious. And it's an interesting play on words. Is Paul calling for our speech to be gracious, as many of our translations say? Or is he calling it to be full of grace, like other translations say? You say, well, what's the difference in gracious and full of grace? Full of grace is like the full of, full of the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is a call to proclaim the gospel in our words. So if we speak in words full of grace, we know we are speaking spiritual truths. We are, we are speaking the gospel in some form or the other whenever we are speaking words of grace. But if you're gracious, this is a way that the words that we are using would be kind, courteous, loving, and respectful. So which is it? Well, both the Greek Word and the context of the passage make this very difficult to interpret. Makes it very difficult to say it means this. And I'm just going to attribute it because Paul's using a play on words. I'm just going to say it's both of them. Let our words be both. Let our words, as we'll see in the context here, as we have seen already, let our words, let our speech, let it be both. Let it be kind and courteous and loving and respectful to all of those around us so they will hear the words of grace, the words of truth, the words of the gospel. Does someone want to hear from you if you're a jerk? Put that in your notes. The answer is no, okay? If you're a jerk, no one wants to hear what you have to say about Jesus. They don't want your Jesus. So let us be gracious so that we can share God's grace. Let our words be kind and truthful. And this is a balance that requires the Spirit's help. But then there's this third word here. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now, there's something we understand in Louisiana, it's seasoning, right? We know how to season stuff. And indeed, that's actually what this text is, is pointing to, is actually seasoning, is to flavor. Now, in the ancient world, there were many uses of salt. And I just want to give you a handful of these. For salt in the, uh, in the ancient world, to the original audience here, can admit a lot of things. They used salt primarily, for the two primary reasons salt was used for was for flavor and for uh, preservation. But they also use it for health. It was an essential nutrient, as it still is today. Uh, used for currency. Uh, it's actually where we get our word salary. It means salt money. And so uh, it was a, a part of currency back then. Hopefully your boss doesn't pay you in salt. Bound, and, uh, bound two parties legally. It was a part of uh, making covenants at times. It was a sign of the promise. We even have still uh, superstitions where people throw salt over the shoulder. If you ever wonder why they do that, it's a sign of making a promise. Salt represents that. Uh, there's salt covenant in scriptures. They use it in the, uh, in the ancient times for tanning, for fertilizer, even for mummification, for soap making, and so many other uses. And so whenever they, whenever they see the word salt here, when they see 
Let your words be seasoned. Let your speech be gracious always and seasoned with salt. How did they receive that? Now, we could have a good discussion of application here that you could use. You have a really good conversation about application, and hopefully we'll have that in community groups this week. But really, it's not about picking apart all these different uses of salt because and, and, they're not thinking in that way. This is the only time that Paul uses salt in his letters. And not just salt, but these three specific words. Speech, graciousness, and salt. Now, there's some other letters that we have that are not in uh, the canon that Paul uses them. There's some other uh, letters we have in ancient writings. That when, when these three words come together, they mean, guess what? Winsome. It means winsome. It means for your words to be winsome. And that's how the original audience would have understood it. It says, let your speech always be gracious and let it be winsome. Now, what does winsome mean? It means attractive or appealing in appearance or character. Now, we know that not all Christians can be good looking, right? Not all of us are blessed like that. We know that, that the, the call here is not to be good-looking believers. We know that's not the case. This idea of being winsome is being attractive or appealing in our character by that which we say, that which we speak. So let our speech always be gracious and let it be winsome. Let it be seasoned with salt. Let it be flavorful. That is the language that we are to have as believers. Paul is calling believers to speak with outsiders in a warm and winsome way. You say, well, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through on a daily basis. There's no way I can add winsome to my list of things to do this week as a believer. I just want to read a quote from another pastor that I found very helpful and very succinct. He says, whether undergoing persecution, stress, difficulty, or injustice, whether your spouse, children, believers, or unbelievers, in all circumstances, believers are to make gracious speech a habit. In all circumstances, believers are to make gracious speech a habit. To speak with grace means to say what is spiritual, wholesome, fitting, kind, sensitive, purposeful, complimentary, with two E's, gentle, truthful, loving, and thoughtful. So that is what it means to speak in a, but it's in a seasoned way, in a flavorful way, in a winsome way. So let our words be winsome. Why? Is it just so we can be nice? Just so Christians can be, you know, the nice guy in the office, the nice guy on the ball team? The nice mom who always takes care of us and says nice and sweet things and sends me nice cards and makes me feel good. That's a benefit, right? It's a perk, hopefully, of having good believing friends. But no, that's not the why. So that, he says. He, I love it when Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the why. We don't have to speculate. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so that you may know how you are to answer each person. Now, there is an inference here that outsiders will ask believers a question. There is an implication. There is an assumption 
that the outsiders that's in question, he says, walk in wisdom with these outsiders. There is the implication that these outsiders, as you walk in wisdom, as you're living out the Christian life, they're going to take note of that and have some questions. I say, hey, what's going on? Why are, you, why are you doing what you're doing? Now, I know this doesn't happen every day, right? But it happens. If you're living the Christian life, if you are walking with the Lord despite your circumstances, if you're going against the flow, at some point, those especially whom the Lord is at work in are going to ask you a question. And it says, let your speech be gracious so that you may know how to answer each person. Go with me to 1 Peter again. 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter addresses this same thing. A little more detail. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 13. He says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If you don't have that verse highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I encourage you to do so right now. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, with graciousness, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, not if you are slandered, Peter says, when? When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may put to shame, may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So Peter affirms here in his letter by being winsome in our speech. We see Paul, we see Peter, Holy Spirit is, is clearly saying that we should be winsome in our speech. And the questions that will arise from the outsiders will not always be of good intent, Peter tells us. Sometimes it'll be good intent. God is at work in their heart. And sometimes it will be to slander and to do us harm. But either way, we are following the Lord. As we live out what Christ has called us to, as we put into practice these principles of Christian living in Colossians 3 and 4, a watchful world will notice. That is a matter of fact. Those in whom the Lord is at work, your deeds and your words work together to proclaim the gospel in a place of darkness. Those in whom the Lord is at work, your deeds and words work together to proclaim the gospel and bring light into darkness. That is how important this is. That not only the gospel that we proclaim with our words, but the gospel that we proclaim with our walk. So let our words be winsome and let our walk and let us walk in wisdom. Let us pray. Lord, I do thank you for this morning. I thank you again for this opportunity to uh, be in your word. And uh, Lord, uh, the challenge that we have before us is not to be better, but is to look to you. And so, Lord, uh, by your Holy Spirit, would you empower us and strengthen us, Lord, to live this Christian life that you have commanded us to live. Oh, Lord, thank you for your grace that you've not done so 
and left us to do it on our own. But you've given us your spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us your church. You've given us the power of prayer. You've given us all these things that we might walk in wisdom. And so Lord, help us to be a church that desires this week to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. As we continue in our service this morning, Lord, as we have a chance to respond in faith, Lord, I pray that we do so. However, you're working in our in our hearts as we have a chance to give, Lord, that we do so by faith. As we leave this place, Lord, may we do so uh, thinking on Christ. In his strong and sweet name we do pray. Amen.